Good morning. I want to join with others who have welcomed you this morning to our assembly. We're so happy to have you here. Uh, We'd love to have the opportunity to get to know you a little bit. If you'll stick around after the assembly today, you are very important to us. We would love to talk with you and share with you uh, spiritual things. Jesus is the answer to everyone's sin problem. And Jesus can provide you with the salvation and peace that you've been looking for all of your life. So we truly thank you for being here. God's plan to save mankind was developed before the world even began. If we read in Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, Ephesians 1, 3 through 6, it talks about in Christ, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. And 1 Peter 1, 20 through 21, 1 Peter 1, 20 through 21, he, meaning the Christ, indeed was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you, who through him believe in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Those of you who have desired to have children, remember all the plans that you made before you ever even had them? They were never born, and you'd made these plans. You dreamed of the good you would do, who they would become. If you don't have children and you desire them, you probably have plans for them right now in your mind and in your heart. These plans, this kind of love that a parent has, it pales in comparison to what God has both done and is capable of doing. He loved us before we even existed and provided for those who would choose to follow him in ways that only God can, as the plans he executed required divine power to be carried out. We have prophecy of our Savior coming even in the words of God spoken to Satan after Satan deceived Eve and ushered in the first sins committed by Adam and Eve. These words of God are recorded by Moses in Genesis 3.15 saying, And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. The Savior would be born into the world, and he would strike a blow to Satan's figurative head. We are the recipients of great promises made and fulfilled by God that have been brought about through the provision for our salvation. We read in Romans 15, Romans 15, 8 through 9, Romans 15, 8 through 9. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers. And that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. For this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And then we read in Galatians 3, Galatians 3, 16 through 19. Galatians 3, 16 through 19. Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He does not say, and to seeds as of many, but as of one. And to your seed who is Christ. And this I say that the law, which was 430 years later, cannot annul the covenant that was confirmed before by God and Christ, that it should make the promise of no effect. For if the inheritance of the law, it is no longer of the promise, but God gave it to Abraham by promise. And we read in Hebrews 6, 11, Hebrews 6, 11 and 12, Hebrews 6, 11 and 12. And we desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you do not become sluggish, but imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. You know, some of our ladies here uh, several years ago put forth some very diligent efforts to develop 
a fairly detailed set of timeline cards that you could use or children could use by our elementary school age children and, and their families to gain an appreciation for how the Bible stories fit together. And it would help our children in that case uh, really gain an appreciation for that and see the common theme and grasp that common theme that's woven through the scriptures regarding God's incredible plan to save mankind. If you would like an electronic version of those cards, let me know. I'll email you a copy. You can make those for your family. You can review it with your children. It will be time well spent, I assure you. Not all of us were so fortunate to be in those children's classes and take advantage of some of the teachers that spent their time laboring so that we would have an understanding of the basic elements of the Bible and understand the theme that's woven through it. So when some would attend the middle school or high school classes, they would have missed out on those fundamentals and not really understand how the Bible fits together. And they're playing catch-up. When I was young, uh, in my early 20s, someone took the time to share a basically a, a timeline-type approach to fitting the Bible stories together with my wife. And we shared it with each other together. And it was incredibly beneficial to me, and it helped me understand the Scriptures in a more holistic way. It would give us uh, kind of like a uh, a timeline to hang all of the stories that we know in the Bible on and organize those things in our mind and understand how the Bible fits together in a better way. Thank you to each of you who teach. Thank you to the teachers here that spend countless hours in teaching our children, teaching those in our, our adult classes as well. You're making a difference. You are making a difference in the lives of those children. In, the, in our lives as we sit at your feet and learn. So thankful. In the scriptures, we see there are occasions when inspired writers have provided us with more or less a timeline approach or a summarization of what has transpired to bring us to the realization that Jesus Christ entered into the world and was part of God's eternal plan to save mankind. We read about a, a, a timeline in Joshua 24. Joshua 24 talks about uh, the Israelites. It's a great summary of what has happened from the time before Abraham to their present day. The point of which was to draw a conclusion to this summary in verse 14 of Joshua 24. He says, Now therefore fear the Lord, Serve him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river and in Egypt. It would be from these people, particularly the tribe of Judah, that the Christ would come. In Acts 7, Acts 7, 1 through 53, Stephen starts with the promises given to Abraham. He concludes with presenting the fact that the high priest and those of the synagogue in Jerusalem were guilty of fulfilling the prophecies that were foretold about the Christ being put to death. The historical context of that passage was meant to convict the listeners of their sins and cause them to repent. In Acts 13, verse 16, Paul guides those in the synagogue at Antioch of Pisidia through the fulfillment of God's plan and begins his timeline with their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. And he concludes with the resurrected Jesus, who was the fulfillment of God's plan to save mankind. The historical context here as well was meant to help the hearers choose to repent, choose to serve that Lord, our Lord Jesus. There is much, much focus given in the scriptures about bringing forth the Christ and through whom the lineage would come, through whom Jesus, the Christ, would come. 
We have those generations listed in places like Matthew 1 and Romans 1 and Luke 3 and so forth. Matthew 1.17 is one. It says, so all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations from David until the captivity in Babylon are 14 generations and from the captivity in Babylon until the Christ, 14 generations. John 7.42, John 7.42, has not the scripture said that the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was, was their questioning. There have been billions of people who have lived since creation on this planet. Yet God has only revealed in his word the details of a relative few as they each play a vital role in the plan that God would accomplish through whom the Christ would come. I'd like to share with you a series of slides that places an emphasis on through whom the Christ would come and the surrounding events in a basic timeline of the Bible. If you've ever studied with me one-on-one in a Bible study before you were a believer you, and you chose to obey the gospel, this is going to look very familiar. In all the studies I've ever done in the past with unbelievers, one-on-one, this exercise has always been greeted with the most uh, interest and expectation. We would use it as a springboard to talk more in depth about the events surrounding the people of God through whom the Christ would come. As I go through this presentation, understand that this would typically be a conversational piece. This is something that we would be sharing stories and Bible verses together and talking through and answering questions. There are many, many details that you can add to help someone that we're studying with to understand a more full picture of what the Bible is really all about. If you find yourself unfamiliar with the content of these slides or names that sound unfamiliar to you, The best way to get familiar with them, read through the Bible. Read the Word of God, and these will be familiar to you. Think about it. If God left us a personal note, and I only read just a little piece of it, what would that really say about me? So why would I want to share this with you today? Well, when we understand how the Bible fits together and the incredible focus given to Jesus, the Christ, throughout its pages, we're going to better understand the scriptures as a whole. It's going to give us that timeline to kind of hang all of these stories on in our mind and understand what came first, what came second, and how did this all come play out. For those of you who have not put the pieces together yet in certain ways, this may be somewhat of an aha moment for you at times when you realize a few simple facts that will help you make the whole Bible story fit together better in your understanding. For those of you who are looking for an an effective and straightforward way to take someone through the scriptures, I'm hoping that this will give you the courage that you know enough to share the gospel with another person, that you can tell others about Christ, that you know things about the Bible that you've learned, and you can talk about these things and show someone through whom the Christ came and why he's here. For those of you who are so far ahead of me, it's good to just remember so if you're so far ahead of me in your understanding and knowledge and, and you have a depth that's beyond me, then just know that it's good for us to be reminded of the significance of these things, to know and to talk about these things repeatedly, not ever stop talking about it. So put these things in your mind. I'm going to be moving through these things rather quickly, 
however, if you'd like to have copies of these things or if you'd like to have the original where you can edit it and make it better for yourself and your use, I'd be more than happy to share it with you. This is simply something that I've just put together as a tool for myself to share with others. Let's start at the beginning of things, through whom the Christ would come. That's the natural place to begin. Adam, Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created by God. They were given a commandment to obey. They were not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. At some point, Eve was deceived by Satan to eat of the forbidden fruit. And she gave some to Adam, and he likewise ate of it. This separated them from God spiritually. They were expelled from the garden along with other punishments. Genesis 3.15, we'd have already read right there at the beginning. There's a prophecy that Jesus is coming. There's going to be a Messiah. And when we look at their children, Cain and Abel, you've heard these stories. Where do they fit into the equation? Cain and Abel. Abel offered, remember, a sacrifice that was both pleasing to God, and God was pleased with Abel and his sacrifice. Cain, God was not pleased with his sacrifice, nor with Cain. And Abel was murdered by Cain. The very first family has a murder story, and it's ugly. Cain kills his brother, and Cain is banished to go away. Seth is one of the other children of Adam and Eve, they have other children. We don't know a lot about Seth other than it's through him. It's through his lineage that the Christ is coming. Seth is where the story then picks up. We don't hear a lot more about the descendants of Cain and Abel, uh, or excuse me, not Abel, Cain and the other uh, brothers and sisters that they have. It really focuses on Seth. We have eight generations, the way I can figure, after Seth, and we have Noah that comes on the scene. Realize that at this time, in Genesis chapter 5, There is as much time in the history of the planet, the history of the earth, that's been covered than there is the rest of the time in the Bible. There's only five chapters for those years. Why is that? Well, I believe it's because it's not relevant to the point of the Bible that the Christ is coming and Jesus is coming and God has a plan. He's going to bring about a Savior. We have Noah come on the scene. We know that in Genesis 6, he's there. And all of the thoughts of the world, the men of the world, is just evil continually. But Noah finds grace in the eyes of the Lord. And he is chosen to build an ark, which takes him about 100 years. Remember, during this time, people are living 800 to 900 years uh, on this planet. Noah has sons. He has three, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. Shem is the one through whom the Christ is going to come. You don't hear a lot more about Ham and Japheth and their descendants other than how they frustrate and poke at those that are the descendants of Shem. And also something else that you can point out in this story of Noah is this is an example that God is going to be a just God. What God says he will do, he will do every single time. No matter how long it takes, no matter how long we're waiting, it's going to happen. And I tell you, in Bible studies, you'll find that people just don't really believe sometimes that God is truly going to condemn them or that he will send anyone to the terrible place called hell. It will happen. God has destroyed this world before with a flood. Next time, it's going to be with fire, and it's the end. There won't be any other chances. This story helps us teach that lesson to others and answer that question about How is it so that God could do this? He's already proven that he will render justice. Ten generations after Shem came Abram, and he's renamed Abraham. There are 
promises given to Abraham. There are three that we typically talk about, but another is given. His name will be great. Abraham's name was great. And he is told that his descendants, Abraham's descendants, will be a great nation one day. They will be given a land, and his seed, from his seed, his descendancy, will be blessings upon all men. All men will be blessed through his seed. That seed would be the Christ. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. We have Abraham, of course, in this, in this story. Uh, he and Sarah deciding to help God out uh, in their minds because he wasn't delivering on his promise as quickly as they had hoped. They were aged, and so they decided that Hagar, the handmaiden of Sarah, would be a good option for Abraham to conceive a child with since Sarah had been barren to this point. They do conceive a child. His name is Ishmael. Ishmael is sent away if I remember correctly, around 15 years old or so, whenever Sarah finds him poking fun or or agitating Isaac, uh, who is the true son of promise. This sometimes helps answer the questions people have about uh, cults and other things. Uh, When you talk with a Muslim, they will point back to their descendancy, they say, that they are descendants of Abraham through Ishmael. And they were the true son. He was the true son of promise. And that's how they link up with that Bible story and merge those things together in a way that doesn't make any sense with the rest of Scripture. We know from the Bible, from God's inspired word, that it is Isaac that was the son of promise. Isaac was through whom the Christ is going to come. Now, the rest of the entire Bible is about fulfilling these three promises. That's what the Bible's about. These promises in Genesis 12, you have a, here we go, we're going to follow this all the way down the path. They're going to become a great nation. They're going to inherit a great land that God's going to give them. And the seed will come about through Abraham's descendancy. Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. And Isaac has two sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau is the oldest, but he's not the the one through whom the Christ will come. As it was prophesied, it would be Jacob. It would be the younger of the two twins. Jacob is renamed. He's given a new name, Israel. Israel. So think about it. When you think about the tribes of Israel, the sons of Israel, uh, the children of Israel, you're talking about all the descendancy of Jacob. That's all that means. It's a family tree. So Israel are descendants of Jacob. That is his family. So there are three that I like to point out uh, in studies where we talk about Levi, Judah, and and Joseph. I believe those are the three that are most uh, prominently uh, discussed in the scriptures and have a a part to play in bringing about some of these things that, that we see fulfilled. The first promise to Abraham is fulfilled in Egypt, as Israelites have become a great nation there, uh, this is all through Joseph. And if you've read the, the book of Genesis, you know about, oh, 40% of that book is about Joseph and what happens there. I'm not going to go into all the details here, but this is a place in which if you're talking with someone, you could say, let, let us read this together. Let's talk about this together. Let's understand this more together. This presentation takes weeks, hour, you know, hour a week for weeks and weeks on end to go through this whole thing and talk and flesh it out. So I'm going through it rather quickly, but just know that this is just where you hang all of those stories. This is where you can bring in your own understanding of what the Scripture's talking about and help others really have these aha moments where they think, I didn't know Israel was the descendants of Jacob. I didn't even know it was that simple. I just knew Israel as a country, as a place, as a geography. Well, no, it's a descendancy. So Joseph 
is taken to Egypt. We know those stories, how his brothers sold him into slavery to Potiphar. Potiphar then puts him in prison because of false accusations. He then rises to be second in command of Egypt. Uh, talk about a summary. That's as quick. <laughs> There's so much in that, right? Those of you that are smiling, you know what I'm talking That's a rich, rich story. So Joseph brings his family eventually to settle in the land of Goshen on the north side, and there's 75 of those people. Those people over hundreds of years develop into what uh, academicians say are two to three million people that are in, in that nation. They become a great nation of people. They are a nation of people at that point. We have also Levi. Levi becomes the tribe that God has chosen to be the high priest, priests, and the keepers of the sanctuary under the old covenant. So it would be the descendants of Aaron that would be the high priests. His other, other descendants are the priests. And then all the other Levites are actually keepers in various ways of the sanctuary. And they have their own jobs that they do under the old covenant. Moses was a Levi, but he was the deliverer. He was the law giver. He delivered the law from God to his people on Mount Sinai. It is at Mount Sinai that they actually enter a covenant relationship with God. They become his people. And he becomes their God. Twelve spies in 40 years. You remember the land uh, that they were supposed to inherit, that they refused to go into and conquer. Uh, Unfortunately, Moses was not ever able to see that land. And you can, I know you're thinking of all the other things that are in these stories that you could add when you're talking about these to other people. I just don't simply have time to go through them. We have Joshua. Joshua is a descendant of, of really Joseph through Ephraim. And he is the one who leads the people into battle and takes over the land of Canaan and delivers the the promised land that God had given them. Uh, God gives it to them through their victories in battle. And the second promise that was made to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 is fulfilled right there. We're told this in scriptures in Joshua 21 that that was truly fulfilled. They received all the land that God had promised them. But but through whom the Christ is going to come is Judah. Judah is the one, the son of Jacob, the son of Israel, through whom their Christ will come. There are 10 generations after Judah came, and David comes on the scene, but we don't want to get ahead of ourselves. There's the period of the judges before kings were ever established over the kingdom of Israel. There are 14 judges, the way that I look at it. Abimelech, I don't really see as a a true judge. He chose himself wasn't really chosen by God, and and really he wanted to be a king. So there are 14 judges that are chosen by God to serve. And in the Bible, judges mean deliverers, those that would judge the nations around them so that Israel would stop being actually persecuted by them. So these are the judges. And if you've had time in Bible classes when you're young, I wished I could have, but I didn't. And so these names you would have learned in songs and other things, this would be familiar to you. But for many that we'll meet in this world that we're trying to preach the gospel to, they don't know this. They don't know these basic principles. We have to continue teaching the Bible story. We need to keep teaching them what the Bible has for them to discover. There's a cycle that you see in the Judges, and it repeats itself. There's the time of rest, and then a few years or many years pass, and Israel decides they're going to stop serving God, and they're going to serve idols. Well, God allows another nation to punish Israel, and then Israel groans and regrets their decision. They then repent of this, and God raises a judge, one of these people, it's inclusive of a woman as well, Deborah, raises judges to deliver Israel from their oppressor. 
There are 14 cycles of this. I only see seven cycles of rest recorded, but I have to assume there was some period of rest on every cycle, but I'm not sure. We then see that there's a king demanded by the people. When Samuel's the last judge, the people demand that they be given a king. Why? Because they want to be like everyone else around them. What kind of lesson can we use this story for? and helping our friends understand there is no other king but Jesus. There is no other one but God who is supreme. The people of God should have realized this, but they wanted to be like everyone else around them, act just like every, give us a king, Lord. Give us, and they're speaking to their king. Saul has granted them. He's of the tribe of Benjamin. Saul is the first king. He is not through whom the Christ is coming though. It would be the second king, David, that would be of the tribe of Judah. There are 42 generations between Abraham to the Christ. I currently know at least four of my generations in my own family, don't you? Some of you are privileged enough to still have your older you know, grandparents or great-grandparents around. My grandparents are, are dead. They're not here anymore. But my dad is still here. My mom is still here. I'm still here. My children are here. My grandchildren are here. There's four generations. This is really not that long ago. 42 generations, these things happened. We think, oh, it's so historic. You know, know, this is 42 generations. We're not that far removed from these events. If you really think about how life goes down this path, the way I figure it, the the world's only been around 6,000 or less years or so. As best I can figure from the scriptures, this world hadn't been spinning that long. So David comes on the scene. He is chosen and anointed as king over Israel. We know so much about David from the scriptures. I know that you could share some stories that you know from the Bible with your friend about King David when you get to this slide. Solomon is his son through Bathsheba, and it is through Solomon that that Christ would come as well. We know ahead of time that these three kings would consume about 120 years of time in reigning over Israel, and this would be the last time that the kingdom would be united. After Solomon dies, uh, the kingdom is divided at that point. So we've given it a label. The United Kingdom of Israel, that's, the, that's when it was the time in these three kings before it was divided up. And then we have the divided kingdom of which Rehoboam is the first king of the south, but he's the king of all of Israel first. It's because of Rehoboam's poor decision and judgment that the kingdom is split. And also God played a part in here. God actually solicited Jeroboam to raise up this other northern kingdom because God wasn't going to give the kingdom away uh, because of Solomon's unfaithfulness before, um, before he died due to David, his father. So Rehoboam didn't know this was happening, but it was coming. God's plans always go the way he plans them to. They never fail. So Rehoboam is now king over the southern kingdom of Judah, Jeroboam over the northern kingdom called Israel. We have the divided kingdom. There are no good kings over the northern kingdom. And think about the time of the kings is really where you see those books in the Bible that talk about, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel, those prophets. That's usually those books are addressing either the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom or both talking about warnings, about repenting. They should choose to repent from their evil deeds so that God will not destroy them as he promised when he made the covenant with them back at Mount Sinai. So Jeroboam, he he goes off the rails right from the very, very beginning. 
he starts building his own altars. He has his own place. He doesn't let his people go to Jerusalem to worship like they should. He sets up his own priesthood. And he, he then has just no, no good kings come after him in the northern kingdom. God prophesies that they're going to be taken away. And they are. Assyria comes and takes them away into captivity in 722 B.C. The southern kingdom should have learned their lesson from their sister kingdom, but they didn't. And they continued in evil and were taken away into Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C. It started in 606, but it took several waves to take all the captives away. So 70 years was coming where God said, I'm going to leave you there for 70 years. And after that 70 years, then I will bring you back and restore you. Well, those 70 years passed, and it was 536 B.C., and a remnant would return to Jerusalem after those 70 years of captivity. And the walls and temple were rebuilt in Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah, and those, there are various books that talk about those events. Then we have a period of 400 years of silence where God gives mankind no new revelation. He's quiet. And then we have, of course, in the world, as, as, it, as it progresses here, uh, Babylon falls, the Medes and Persians. We have the Greeks come on the scene. And then the Roman Empire is, is risen up. And there are Jewish sects that are developed during this time period. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, Essenes, Zealots, that are all ruled by the Roman Empire. Then we have the angel Gabriel visiting Zechariah, telling him that John the baptizer is going to be born to you. And he will prepare the way for Jesus. He's six months older than Jesus. He's the cousin of Jesus. Of course, Elizabeth being Mary's sister. So we have now Jesus who comes all the way through the proper lineage, the tribe of Judah, through David, the descendant of Abraham, through whom the Christ came, was delivered the Savior. The Savior came exactly as promised. Do you know that that is impossible to happen on its own? There's no way that a promise could have been made so many generations ago that a man would meet the qualifications that Jesus met. This is only one of the qualifications that he met, that he's from the right lineage. There were many, many other promises. And you see, when you're thinking in your mind about all the prophecies that you know about that are spoken in the Old Testament, couldn't you talk with your friend about those prophecies? Couldn't you show them those prophecies and show them that this really is Jesus the Christ? He fulfilled those prophecies. There were times during the kings that um, there were times in which there would have been only one more uh, person to kill in order for the tribe of Judah to not have a, a king on that throne. Yet, that person was protected. That person was saved. It happened twice as far as I, I can read, where it came between one life being killed and this promise not being fulfilled. That's amazing. That's amazing. Out of the billions of people that have lived on this planet. So this third promise, it was fulfilled. Through Jesus, all the nations would be blessed. So, what about you and me? This was to benefit you and me. All of this effort, all that God has done through his providential power, his divine power, has brought about these events for you and me. Hasn't our God done wonderful things? Hasn't he brought about a Savior through wonderful works? Isn't it worth telling someone about this? Jesus is here. The Messiah is here. Our Savior is here. 
God provided him just the way that he promised he would over insurmountable human odds. Those odds were not insurmountable for our God because he can do anything. So I want you to think about this. When Paul preaches following his summary in Acts 13, verse 32, he says, And we declare to you glad tidings. That promise which was made to the fathers, God has fulfilled this for us, their children, and that he has raised up Jesus. That's it. That's the key. That's the thread that goes throughout the entire Bible. So let me tell you, if you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that he was raised from the dead, if you're ready to confess your belief today in him, and repent of your sins, like Braden talked about, repenting, turning away, starting a new life, giving up all that, those sinful ways, and living for the Lord, for the one who was brought forth as our Savior. If you're ready, if you're ready to receive the gift, and it's a tremendous gift of salvation, you can have that this very day. God planned it that way. You see, he planned it that way before the world was ever made. He thought of you and he thought of me. 1 Timothy 2, 3 through 4 says, God is our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. It's intended for every single individual person. For those of us who've already had our sins washed away in baptism, I hope we can have a greater appreciation going home from this assembly today for what God has really done to bring about our salvation. It's tremendous what he's done. We can use this as motivation to share it with others. We can use this as motivation to overcome sins that we've struggled with. How could I discredit the things that God has done for me by pursuing this sinful behavior? You know, that's what we're doing when we choose sin. We're disregarding all that God has done to bring about our salvation. We're choosing, we're choosing to go against him. So let's have a greater appreciation that we can use as proper motivation. Wouldn't it be a shame for someone to miss out on what God had prepared for them? Let's not let that happen. If you have a spiritual need, we ask that you please come forward as we stand together. We'll sing a song to encourage you. Let's all stand and sing that song together. Thank you.